Welcome to Never Rewrite. I'm Isaac Askew. And I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And today we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. So Isaac, could you start us off? What's, what is imposter syndrome? Uh, I actually pulled up a definition uh, just to start with, because I have, I, have, I have a ton of experiences with imposter syndrome and people who have had experiences. But when people ask me to explain precisely what it is, I was like, uh, well, here's all the things that you do. So I figured I'd pull up an actual definition. So the actual definition I have here is uh, the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one's own efforts or skills. So, and you didn't um, feel like you had a legitimate enough explanation off the top of your head. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're, um, you're a... <laughs> yeah. So, um, this topic I've actually given a, a talk on at a company before, um, because I I had had a lot of conversations with people and realized that we all had some shared experiences around imposter syndrome. And at the time, I thought it would be useful to tell about my experiences. Uh, as a way that was kind of a cathartic way for me to to get over it um, or get past it, and as a way to also share the experience in case other people also felt that way. Um, and there was some success in, in sharing those stories because you had to have people come up after and say, hey, I just started at the company. It was really nice to hear your speech about that because I was feeling the same way. And how they were usually feeling is <clears throat> they're extended an offer to a company. They they nailed the interview, but uh, internally they're like, oh, well, maybe I tricked them or something. Because like, <laughs> uh, maybe I'm not really deserving of this. Because once they get and see all the company stuff, they're, they're at the big time company now. They earn a lot more money than they did right out of college. It's like a, you're, you're in the, the uh, post-college maybe uh, early startup phase and there's a lot of venture capital and the salaries are a little mm -hmm. higher and you see all this and you're like, Whoa, I'm not, I, you know, I just came out of college and I'm not that good. And you look and see the code base and you see a lot of complicated code that you're probably not used to because every company's got their own, you know, code that's very <laughs> unique to them, but also well, yeah, you from, don't have the, you don't ahead. have the context that that really complicated complex code is probably bad. <laughs> Right, right. And so like this is kind of like what we we're talking about in earlier episodes, like coming from an academic background. You're taught to build things a certain way. And mm -hmm. then you're kind of trained on that way. Like, here's how to normalize a database. Or here's how to, I usually don't have one on refactoring code or anything, but here's how to like clean up code. Or here's how to make brand new code. Here's an assignment, go do that. Mm -hmm. And in the real world, you you know, no one cares about normalizing your database until it becomes a, like a, a bottleneck or they need, there's a reason to. No one cares about like going through and cleaning up code or re properly using inheritance unless there's a reason to. Like mm -hmm. they give you a new feature and say, work on this. And then you see a bunch of entangled code. You realize none of the code you're looking at are remotely similar to the examples you're given in an academic setting because they're trying to give you good <laughs> practices and they don't teach you about how here's all the bad code you're actually going to experience. And then mm -hmm. you go, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, I know the interview, but I have no idea what I'm doing here. Did I did I trick them somehow into thinking I'm better than I am? Do I actually deserve this job? <laughs> so you have a lot of self-doubt. And that's the primary kind of factor that's in a lot of the conversations around imposter syndrome. It's like doubting that you should be where you are. Okay. Totally understandable. So if you, you get a new job or you come to a new company or you, you've got this new promotion mm -hmm. and... Now you're like, oh, do I really like? Am I really good enough? 
right? I'm, I'm not Linux, Linux, Linux Turbals. I'm not <laughs> you know, invent Linux right here and, and write my own compilers. Am I good enough to be a, a programmer? And so how do you start getting what like, is acknowledging it the first step that may, that you should, or do you, do you look for ways to quantify? Yeah, well, I, I guess I've never thought about like steps, like here's the five-step process. I know we like doing this in the show. Five-step <laughs> five step process. <laughs> to get over imposter syndrome. Very buzzword. Almost like a clickbait kind of a clickbait, YouTube yeah. video. <laughs> Isaac's five-step process um, to get over imposter syndrome. Um, but I think- Are yeah, you good enough to take them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think the first step maybe, or one of the steps is, yeah, kind of acknowledging that you might have it or, or, or talking about it. The mm -hmm. worst thing you can do is just be quiet because like, some people are like, well, I don't want to ask questions because then it will become very apparent that I don't know how to do what I'm supposed to know how to do. Mm -hmm. If I ask, how do I work on this? Or it's a stupid question. And it's something I feel like I should have learned in college, but I don't know how to do. They're going to look at me and go, why, why are they here? Like, who, who is this guy? You know, like, they should already know this particular format that we're saving stuff in, or they should know this standard. This is like basic stuff. And yeah, half the time, the whole HTTP spec memorized. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just got out of college. It's only like a, ten, a thousand pages, right? So there's uh, that's an invisible and kind of like often imaginary uh, enemy that you have mm -hmm. is like your own thoughts on if I ask questions, what what could happen? And right. I, I had at the me. time I had a fair amount of anxiety because I was like I was trying to make a good impression. My, uh, one of my first companies outside of college, I was trying to make a good impression. I didn't know some of the code. I didn't want to ask questions because it would look like I was not smart enough to figure it out on my own. And I literally had like this kind of nightmare situation where I was like, I, I honestly felt like if I asked too many dumb questions, they'd be like, we made a mistake. <laughs> We're going to fire this guy. And that was like truly what I believed because I was young. I did not know anything about enterprise level software or like, mm -hmm. you, you know, or and never worked with a team that big. Uh, so there was a lot of fear there. And I think the, in, in retrospect, the biggest thing that I ever did was make friends at the company who are also mm -hmm. not just people that who were just started, but people who've been there a long time that were just like nice and understanding people make friends and then just say, Hey, uh, I'm feeling a little, I'm feeling a little nervous because uh, I'm, I feel like I'm not going to deliver because I, I don't know if I'm right for this. You know, can you help me out? You, asking for help is like counterintuitive because you don't want to, but it's the biggest way to actually start Hello. learning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I didn't have that uh, going in. Like I didn't have the fear, but what I have noticed or I have learned, uh, especially as I've gotten more senior is as a more senior developer, especially if I'm the most senior developer in the room, it's my responsibility to ask the dumb questions because other developers won't. So if I, to be an advocate or just to be a good leader, if I suspect people don't understand or I, you know, if I don't understand, but I know I can figure it out. If it's a meeting, it's a great time to ask someone because then you get to ask all the stupid questions in the room, which one gives everybody permission to not understand. Yeah. And two, it, it asks for them. And three, it often reveals an answer that you didn't expect when it's like, oh, I didn't understand that. Or I did, and the other person didn't, and this was going to be a problem. Equally possible. I find that to be really kind. 
I think knowing that if you ask a question or other people might be too scared to ask a question and, and going ahead and, and asking a question for them for that, like that, that's just a very kind thing to do for someone. In fact, that, that reminds me of, I, I think I, I was like poking fun at my friend, like uh, in middle school or something, because we learned some, something in a, in a math lesson and mm-hmm. he asked the question again. And I knew he knew the answer, but he asked the question from the teacher. And I was like, what? you already know the answer to that. Why are you asking? And he's like, well, my friend, uh, he, he, I don't think he understands. And I'm trying to do that. That way she'll describe it again. And I was like, oh, that's really, yeah. <laughs> really just a kind gesture. So I appreciate that kind of, uh, that kind of thing. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So talking about it and f- making friends who can help you in a less public setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, good so how do you so you get over or helps you get over that first initial thing right so now you you have the job you don't get fired in the first six months mm-hmm. which is ipso facto proof that you're good enough right at least in the u.s yeah <laughs> that obviously that doesn't solve the problem right then yeah it's the nagging persistent in the back of your head so once you're over the initial Right, you're developed. You're into the code base. You're making reasonable contributions. You know they they haven't fired you. They haven't put you on a pip. Mm-hmm. Uh, so external evidence is showing that you are at least good enough right. just to keep the job. How do you how do you now silence the doubts? Because now there's well, some evidence, but still the doubts come. Right. Well, you hit on something important there, and that it's like now you have that history. So. It's almost like an exposure therapy kind of thing, where now that you keep coming uh, to work every day, uh, you you continue to have a job every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. You keep building new things, you keep learning things, asking questions. Over time, you build that experience. So you're right in that you can still have that kind of nagging uh, feeling, but the the more you end up showing to work and and learning new things and working with people the more confident you can be. And especially if like somebody, somebody suddenly comes to you and has a question for you and you can answer it for them. So mm-hmm. I would say, try to mentor people too. Uh, even if you don't feel like you're good enough to mentor, which it can be very similar vein as imposter syndrome, but you can still look at people who just came into the company who are very fresh, who went through the same feelings that you went through and then go, mm-hmm. oh, they're, they're new here. I've only been here six months, but I can tell you, this is how I got onboarded. These are the things that helped me feel like I was contributing and ramped up. And in doing that, you can actually, it's almost like once you can teach something to someone, you realize you've learned it yourself. So it helps kind of establish, right. oh, I did learn a lot. I am doing good things here. I am helping this person who's new here feel comfortable. And now they're delivering. Right. That almost sounds like, so the the first proof that we talked about, the first thing that we were talking about, it's, like, it's the external validation of, well, I've got a job and they didn't fire me. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they must think I'm good enough. Now you're saying, okay, now start, Now that you've got some history, you can start teaching others. And teaching is a proof that you actually understand. You can't teach what you don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so that becomes, it's still an external proof because the proof is that somebody else understands what you're teaching them. But it becomes yeah. a more internal proof. Like you, I didn't get fired as an external validation, right? They, they could always right. turn around and fire you. And it wouldn't, you know, there could be a layoff. And you're the mm-hmm. new person, so you got the heave ho out of no fault of your own. So it's a very external validation. But being able to teach someone, that's a much more internal thing because it's on you. 
Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, and you can directly see the impact of your own interactions with the person that you're teaching. You get that, you get that feedback from them. Oh, this helped mm-hmm. me. Thank you for that. Um, and again, you're doing that same inner, anybody can tell you, you're doing a great job, you know, and a lot of the, a lot of times those kind of comments do bounce off people with imposter syndrome. Uh, mm-hmm. You need to deliver it certain ways and it needs to be a way that you can feel that the feedback is legit. It's not just somebody being nice. So like building relationships with other people, like your own manager mm-hmm. and that having being able to trust their feedback. And when you hear, Oh, you've improved a lot. This is exceptional code. This is an exceptional job you've done for this feature or whatnot. Getting that from your manager or getting it from the person that you're trying to onboard and help out of the company. Hey, thank you. I feel so much better every mm-hmm. day. I was super nervous and I just want to appreciate, you know, I just want to tell you, I appreciate that I come to work now and, you know, I don't feel as scared and I enjoy pairing with you. That kind of feedback feels amazing. And it, it's, it's much more like you, you do internalize that you do. You can, uh, it's a lot easier for you uh, to work with that feedback and convince yourself, so to speak, than it is from mm-hmm. just other people telling you niceties. Can we go a little deeper into that? So what kind of mm-hmm. feedback what makes feedback more valuable or less valuable uh, in terms of fighting the imposter syndrome? Uh, whether or not you believe it. <laughs> um, so that's what I mean by, by having some trust. Uh, some people, just like in real life, if you imagine there's somebody right now that you hate or just do not respect, and they gave you a lot okay. of really critical feedback about who you are or how you're doing in a job or whatnot, you're not really going to care <laughs> You're like, I don't know who you are. I don't respect your opinion. Who are you to tell me about my job? You don't know anything about the work that I do. You know, after a while, those those comments, you might shrug, uh, you might like raise your eyebrow at that. If somebody you deeply respected, who's in your same career and was a mentor to you, gave you some critical feedback, that feedback would hit a lot harder, especially if it was mm. like something you really needed to work on and you haven't done a good job with. You're like, mm, I've let this person down. So finding people like that step one where you actually can go ask around get help from people build a community of other people whether or not it's remote and you just like meet people via slack or you're in the office Mm -hmm. and you meet new people there building that community of people and actually establishing trust with the people you mentor or your own managers is going to be key because the deeper that relationship is the more that feedback is going to hit and you're going to believe them when they say i think you're doing a great job it's not just going to be somebody saying that like who doesn't know who anything about your struggle like a brand new right. manager coming in that you've met for three days saying, you're doing great. You're going to be like, you don't know the work I've been <laughs> working on. But somebody who's been there since day one says, you've been doing exceptional. I, the growth I've seen since you've been at the company has been incredible. That's going to hit harder. Mm-hmm. You're going to believe that more. Okay. So trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about specificity? So trust takes a, takes time to build. Because mm-hmm. uh, from what, what I've always read or, or and heard is being more specific in your feedback makes it resonate more mm-hmm. so if you've got you know somebody who's been mentoring you since you joined he can they can say something like oh your improvement has been amazing you're doing a great job whereas if i've known you for uh, all of a day and i say you're doing great that's meaningless but if i mm-hmm. you know if it's my first day as your manager and i say hey in today's meeting i really loved how you decomposed that problem that was excellent work would that uh, help would would very specific feedback like that help overcome the trust barrier? That would help build the trust 
for sure. Like if someone can give you specific feedback, you're like, oh, they they paid attention. They read my MR (laughs) or PR. They read Mm -hmm. through and saw, oh, this was much better than last week. And I see that you've done the the feedback that I asked of you last week. I see you implemented it right here. Or um, the thing that you've built, uh, I went ahead and QA'd it myself. And I I noticed this flow was really smooth. You know, if they can uh, call out specific things that means they actually cared enough to, to, to listen to exactly what you're doing or to watch mm. what you're doing. So it's one thing if your manager says, oh, I, everyone is saying you're doing a great job. I've heard really good feedback from you. That is very generic. That's very abstract. Right. Other people have told me that. But it's another thing entirely if someone said, hey, I was watching, you know, all your pipelines you were running last night when you were trying to optimize our pipelines. And I saw that we went from you know, a 10 minute pipeline to a three minute pipeline due to your efforts. And that was awesome. I was watching you as you did it. And that is just incredible work. That's super specific. Mm-hmm. They were looking after you. They see that you've done something great and called it out. And that not only is good feedback, but it builds trust. Cause next time, you know, wow, this is somebody who actually cares enough to not just like lean over the stuff I'm doing. They, they dug into it and saw that I'm doing good work. It's believable. Okay. So we're saying trust is the key. And specificity helps build the trust because it shows that you care, mm-hmm. care enough to pay attention. So what else can you do to, to combat the, the imposter syndrome? So one thing that I don't think works from conversations I've had with other people, like it works very well for me, but it doesn't seem to work for imposter syndrome, being able to speak to the results of your work. Mm-hmm. So I say controversial things it, like I don't care if the code is crap, I, if it does the job really well. Mm-hmm. Thus, I don't have a problem with PHP. Where <laughs> <laughs> Does being able to tie your work to the results, does that help with um, imposter syndrome? If, if I say, oh, you know, I don't, I'm a senior, per, you know, I've been promoted to be senior and I don't know that I'm actually that good of a programmer. Mm-hmm. But you know, instead of pointing to the code and say, oh, you know, this database isn't normalized correctly. It's it, it's not third form normalized. And this code here, you know, some of my classes got entangled and it's not dry. Versus, hey, I, I wrote this code and our customers loved it and it helped them, you know, increase their profitability 20%. And that created a viral spiral that resulted in a 30% increase in our onboarding rate and the company's making millions of dollars thanks to my efforts. Wait a minute. Why am I only a senior developer here? (laughs) Right. That's a really interesting question. It reminds me of previous topics about like, again, trying to separate business concerns from academic teachings, because Mm -hmm. you could be a really inexperienced developer and do incredibly powerful things at a company. You could go mm-hmm. through and find, you could just be looking through the code base and find a bottleneck and not really know what the code's doing or why and just go like, oh, how about we fix that? And then do something great. You could do a huge impact. Maybe the page loads in less than a second instead of 10 seconds. All the customers are super happy. And you mm-hmm. didn't have to know all of your learnings in academia <laughs> to make that change. So it's an interesting concept because if you kept getting promoted for doing things like that. And you're like, well, actually I'm using a one hundredth of all the things I learned at school, so to speak. Mm. Then you're like, huh. So this could make it, it worse. It could be confusing. Hmm? It could make it worse. It could be, I'm not, if you're, if you're having imposter syndrome about being a, a good developer, 
mm-hmm. right? You don't know that you really deserve to be a good developer and you hit on business solutions to problems that are not particularly, you you find non-technical, you know, basic coding solutions exactly. to problems that might re you would feel you'd be praised. Your company would promote you, but you might feel, Oh, well, this is just basic yeah. <laughs> um, crud work that I'm doing. It's nothing special. I shouldn't be a senior developer. I'm not, I'm not a good enough developer to be a senior. Whereas the actual super senior developers are like, Oh, great. Your code is so simple. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I could see that Valley of, Oh, I'm being promoted because I've had successful business outcomes and I'm not being promoted because I'm, a successful programmer that yeah again that's, that's another facet to it which can make mm-hmm. it super complex right one thing I, I think i've had to learn in my career is that it clean code doesn't necessarily matter in many cases if you solve the customer's problem and that was super hard for me to unlearn because someone could be like isaac we want you to do a quick fix for this one particular customer and i'd be like oh well that's just an adding another if statement for if customer id equals that and like this is silly this is sloppy code <laughs> But if you slap it on there and then you demo it later and you sign a contract with a you know a customer because they're like, oh, wow, you've got this delivered so quickly, even though it was sloppy, is that bad? From a, from a developer perspective, you're like, this is terrible. I've written terrible, non-scalable code, not clean, non-clean code. From a business perspective, everyone loves that. Like You landed a new contract because of how quick you were to deliver that. And mm-hmm. so there's definitely two different avenues where your inner developer, your inner experienced person's going, mm, I'm judging myself for the lack of a clean answer. And then you're getting accolades from a business side. So you you have to, a lot of that will just take time and experience to understand. Uh, you can still be a valuable employee without being a perfect experienced best developer. So you can mm. still help out. So you should try to divorce this concept of being the best in my trade to being valuable to help your company grow. Could that be an aspect of imposter syndrome that people are, are fighting where even if you like, hey, mm-hmm. I keep my job and people are saying I'm doing a great job and I'm bringing in lots of business. But there's this tension now between, oh, well, yes, I'm good at my job and I deserve my job, but I'm mm-hmm. still a terrible program. Yeah. Which I guess could actually be true. For sure. Yeah. And, and for me, this this is one of those things where like I want to almost come up, come up with an analogy here. Mm-hmm. But it's like if you're if you if you realize that about yourself, if you think, hey, I'm actually not a great developer or you, or you you feel that and you're still doing well in your company. You can also look back on that history and go, oh, well, I am getting good feedback that I'm you know I'm solving company problems and I'm making an impact. That's great. They find me valuable. And there's still things I can work on in the programming side of things that I would like to be. So even though I've, I've been given a title that I feel like I haven't grown into yet. That's mm-hmm. not necessarily a bad thing. Like if we go in on Halloween and see kids wearing Batman masks, we don't go, you're not Batman. That's stupid. Why would you do that? Why would you wear a mask lying about who you are? It's the it's what they like I've want seen to that be. in a sitcom with terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> They're working towards being that image. They, they admire right. that. If you put on a senior developer mask or you're given that title... That's what you're working towards. And people look at you and go, oh, that they're trying to be a senior developer or they are a senior developer. Doesn't matter. All that matters is your own internal feelings about it. So if you get those accolades and you feel like you're not a good developer, that's okay. You can keep working on it. You know, uh, if you have a good enough relationship with your colleagues, 
and a good environment in which you can ask questions and keep growing, people are still going to be really happy that you're delivering value, even if you don't know every single, if you haven't read all the, you know, the best programming books out there and know all the concepts everyone should know at that point in their career. Okay. I guess that to summarize that, what you're saying is for the, if you have imposter syndrome, I guess separate it from, at least try to separate, I have imposter syndrome, I don't deserve this job, that you can fix by, hopefully fix by by keeping the job and by doing a good job and getting promoted. It may not help you with the, I'm not a good developer imposter syndrome. Yeah. There's less, there's not a one, it's not a tightly coupled thing, right? Your, your job and your trade are not coupled as well as they should be. You know, similarly, in, in a lot of creative trades, right? There are lots yeah. of amazing artists who labor in obscurity and then mediocre artists hit on something and become wildly famous and popular. <laughs> right. I feel like in the 80s, I always remember people like, oh, yes, you know, all these pop stars, they're not really good singers. It's like, okay, but they're very good entertainers. Right. And so we we can be judgmental and say... <laughs> And I've done this too with certain mm -hmm. pop artists where I'm like, I do not understand why people like this artist, but clearly they're delivering value. Whether or not right. you think they're, you know, the most musically gifted person you've ever met, if they deliver value and they make people happy, you have to, you have to go back to yourself and be like, why are you angry at them? <laughs> so <laughs> uh, either way, it, it is a complex topic. It is, there's not an easy answer. Everyone's got, and people in general, they have met, have their own self-doubt regardless. They might have throughout their life just like been very critical of themselves and never really felt like they're doing, you know, they're at their full potential. And that can actually uh, merge in with the imposter syndrome part and make it even worse. So everyone's going to have different experiences with it. So I, I don't have an answer for it, but the, the, the well, I guess the one answer I, I would have is like, just be vocal about what you're experiencing and find someone trusted you can share that with. And that way you can, get it off your chest. It's it's cathartic mm -hmm. for you. They can give you feedback. You trust their feedback. And over time, in my experience, over the years, those feelings get less and less. It's like, again, it's like an exposure therapy. The more, the more you show up every day, honestly, ask those questions, get that good feedback, build those really valuable uh, relationships with people. Um, the more you're going to feel, uh, or rather the less you're going to feel like an imposter, the more you're going to feel like, okay, I am doing my job. Sorry, I had a very biting, uh, sarcastic comment, and I suppressed it, and then I lost my chain of thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it was going to be funny, but it was also mean, so I didn't say it. <laughs> so thank you. Now, I called now, you now, kind now. earlier, so you know. Right, yeah, no, I, 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 I like, you know, the, that inner monologue of like that would be really funny, but also it's totally inappropriate, so I'm not going to say it now. Well, thank you. I've I lost the train of thought. So we're saying that right, you get it off your chest, and. Mm -hmm. It gets better over time. Is there a point where it ever, it, does it ever go away entirely? Like you've been a developer for 12, 15 years? I don't remember how long have you been um, professionally. Professionally, yeah, since 2013. So a good, good chunk of time, at least 10, 10 years. Like, is it, do you still feel imposter syndrome? Like wait, wait, I, if you get a promotion, do you feel imposter syndrome until- I, I did recently. <laughs> So it, yeah, it, it comes up still, you know, it's, it's like, it, it, it's almost like saying, you know, like, it's almost like depression or anxiety or other kind of mm -hmm. feelings where you're like, 
it might go away and it might come back, you know, and that's okay. fine. That's life. I'm not, there's not like a magic pill you can take to never feel like an imposter again. But I was, I was recently like last year, I was promoted to principal engineer at my current company. And during, during the one-on-one with my boss, who told me I had this title change, I literally just said, why? <laughs> and he started <laughs> laughing at me and he's like, what do you mean? Why? And I'm like, I, I know so many incredible principal engineers and I feel like they're worlds ahead of me. As far, as far as not just experience, but just like wealth of knowledge, all these different languages, that you know, all the different architecture styles and just, and I'm like, principal almost feels like a slap in the face to all these other people are way better than me. Like, <laughs> you can't call me the same thing as that person. And that's kind of what it felt like. Mm. And so I was reflecting on that. And I'm like, I wonder when I, when I asked him why, he's like, what do you mean why? Here's all the things you're doing. And he explained, here's so many facets of the business that I had learned in, in a year at that time. And I was able to pretty much any question someone had, I could answer it and work and just keep jumping in different code bases across different products. Mm-hmm. And I just be, I built a wealth of knowledge. So it's like, even if it's not a principal in a different company, at this company, I was delivering a lot of value. I was really mm-hmm. helping out everybody, <laughs> operations team, sport team, my own boss, so he doesn't have to keep uh, doing a lot of manual things he was doing. So if you're providing value, it's you still have to separate that from your own internal feelings of all these other people you've met who seem like they're they're better than you. In principal engineer isn't even a primarily software developer role. Like you, the higher up you go as at the, the principal level, mm-hmm. you're not going to be as hands on keyboard. So yeah. even if yes, there's these other developers in their worlds better than you at developing, your job isn't primarily developing anymore. It's more about what to develop and why and how. Right. Yes, I've actually, I once gave a talk about, do you want, because uh, my company, The Jump, where senior developers are 100% coders, mm-hmm. you know, like you code all day, all the time, and then you jump to the next level, which is staff, and your coding time drops to at least, you know, no more than 50%. And so I gave a talk about that, like, you know, there's no shame in saying I want to code all day and I don't want the next title because the next title right. means less coding. Oh, for sure. And I've had this own conversation internally mm-hmm. <laughs> with like, do I want to manage one day? Do I want to flex that muscle to see if I'm a good manager? And if I do that, I'm not going to be coding really at all. Um, and that's a hard conversation to have too. And uh, in the end, uh, I, I want to code some. <laughs> but either way, yeah, manager. So yeah, I still end up. Coding. Yeah, I still end up feeling imposter syndrome from from mm-hmm. now and then because like. It's almost like asking you, do you ever doubt yourself? Well, of course. And yeah, that doubt myself. is good sometimes. I, I do want to, this kind of segues nicely into the opposite problem, <laughs> um, where if I didn't doubt myself at all, uh, then I probably wouldn't learn from anybody. I probably wouldn't ask any questions. I would just kind of go go straight forward into, this is the answer. I'm right all the time. I'm the greatest at what I do, right? So I that's the developers. Right, so the the opposite of imposter syndrome, or maybe not the opposite, but and and the other another side of the spectrum, so to speak, is the Dunning Kruger effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had that definition pulled up too because I thought it was interesting. Um, it's a cognitive bias in which people with limited competence in a domain overestimate their abilities. So it's somebody who's not good at the job at all, but they're so confident in how they deliver all of their solutions or in a meeting with everybody and everyone's nodding their heads and they're like, wow, you delivered that in such a way that you must know what you're talking about, but they have no clue what they're doing. 
And we've all met people from engineers to politicians that act this way. Um, and there's like a, all, there's so many psychologies at play here because a lot of times people want a leader or they want someone to tell them what they what to do or what to work on because they're like, I don't want to. It's not my job to figure this out. They, they got it figured out. And so sometimes we seek that out. We seek that kind of leadership out. But once we find out it's fake, we get angry. <laughs> so we want to be told what to do by people who know what they're doing. Right. Yeah. I heard a wonderful quote one time, which was part of what private school lets you do, or part of what private school teaches you is how to bullshit and sound authoritative, how to sound, sound authoritative and confident while you're bullshitting. Right. So one of the primary values of a private school education. Uh, it's it's teach. useful in certain trades too. Like if you're trying to sell something to somebody, even if like a lot of times, you know, salespeople will promise things that have not yet been built. Sometimes it, it, it has been said that people might do that, <laughs> but if you're really good job, if you do a really good job selling, Oh, we're going to have that. Yeah. We're building this feature. And you're just like, you're so confident that, you know, that we're going to solve your problem that the other person goes, wow, I'm taken care of. That's super valuable. We find value in that in the society. We pay people a lot of money. We pay marketers a lot of money to make these messages and make people feel comfortable. And even if we can't deliver that promise at the time, we're still working on it in the background. Oh, that's such bad selling. Don't don't be that salesperson. <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> I said, don't be that salesperson. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not a salesperson. But I'm just saying, conceptually, as a society, yeah. we see that all the time. Excellent. So... I guess to, before we wrap, let's go with the, the flip side. Mm -hmm. What if you wanted to have more imposter syndrome? What could you do to make yourself doubt more? Uh. So we, gotta go, we gotta examine the flip side here. So we talked about how to get rid or how to work <laughs> against imposter syndrome. Um, and I was reading, uh, I'm totally blanking on the guy's name, but there, there was a American philosopher who was an amazing disaster planner. And mm -hmm. he, he, instead of asking himself, how do I prevent this disaster? He would say, how do I cause this disaster? So that he could then implement the opposite. So one of his great quotes <laughs> was like, if I wanted to kill a lot of pilots, how would I design an airplane? Right. And... <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting thought exercise for sure. So it's a good thought. So if I wanted to make imposter syndrome worse, <laughs> what would I do? Uh, Continue to be rewarded for things that seem trivial. <laughs> okay, so reward people for trivial things. Uh. Would changing <laughs> jobs often? Like, I, I'm wondering, because yeah. we talked a lot about trust. Yeah. And I know in the modern, especially for programmers, nobody looks askance at changing jobs every year. But if you're suffering from imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. you know, it... it I encourage people to change jobs often because often that's the best way to get a promotion, mm -hmm. sadly. But if you're suffering from imposter syndrome, would that hurt you? Because now you don't, you've lost the, those long trusting relationships. I'd say, yeah, maybe not even go so far as to say switch jobs often, but even just switching teams, mm. you know, preventing somebody from growing that way uh, would certainly make the problem worse. You keep every, every week they're on a brand new product team. They never get to, you know, be with the, their colleagues very often, the, their manager changes or their feedback changes and they never really get a good, a good foothold on what to do. This all sounds very evil, Jeffrey. <laughs> Why are we doing this? Because <laughs> it's the it, it's the opposite. The inverse, for, so yeah. we can say 
right? It's that you you figure out what the bad would be so that you can advise people to do the good. Don't. So we're saying if you're suffering from yeah. imposter syndrome, work to keep yourself on the same team longer. Yeah. You know, stay at your companies longer, right? So don't. Earlier in my career, I was very strategic or tactical. I was a tactical quitter. I would, you know, when I, if I felt that I had reached the next level and I wasn't getting that promotion or raise that I felt mm -hmm. that I was worth, I would find a new job that would pay that. And that, you know, caused my career to move faster forward than people who stayed at the same job for six, seven years at a time. Right. But if you're being, you know, do, uh, disabled or fighting with imposter syndrome, that might make it worse, right? If you're like tactically quitting, like, hey, I'm going to go find another company that's going to pay me more. And you're mm -hmm. already worried that you're not worth what you're being paid or you're not really worth it. That would seem oh, yeah. bad. That Especially would... if you kept succeeding and getting higher right. and higher and higher titles. And you're like, I don't know what to do. But I've, the, <laughs> the crazy part is there's been so many people who have done this. They've just bullshitted into all kinds of positions, but have no remorse. They don't have imposter syndrome. They're just like, they just keep getting higher and higher degree <laughs> titles and that's like that. That's their play. <laughs> but well, yeah, I that's what I do. But I also feel like I bring the the skills with it. Like I don't feel that I am yeah. getting hired and then not delivering. It's right. It's it's more of a mercenary career mindset where I don't trust the company necessarily to have my interest at heart. So I look for out for number one. <laughs> and you're number one. Well, I am number one. <laughs> I am the number one person in my career. Yes. I believe that. <laughs> and you are the number one person in your career. And sadly, no one else is going to look out for you. And therefore, quit your job and get a better one at a higher salary. You deserve it. Tough love. <laughs> no, don't don't do that. Especially if you have imposter syndrome. Don't don't do what I've done. <laughs> it will make it will probably make things worse. Oh, yes, yeah, on the line of making things worse. Yeah, not asking questions. Yes. No, we no one. Don't 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 ask questions. Don't don't build a community. Just isolate. That'll make things worse for sure. Right. Assume that other people actually understand and are doing, are not asking questions because they understand is a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. All right. Have we have we gone through? I think the we've we've beaten it. We're now we're now around to, we've we've closed the circle. We're now back to evil and having to remind people that we're talking evil to tell you not what not to do. Uh, you have to know evil water. that way you can appreciate good yes the yin and the yang <laughs> eastern philosophy by people who have no idea what they're talking about but we're saying it very well so this is dunning cougar is a good way to leave <laughs> all right all right <laughs> we're done here uh, we're done. all right thank you for listening i'm jeffrey sherman and i'm isaac askew and this is never rewrite mm.